Welcome to the Ramp Church Podcast. We are so honoured that you've joined us today and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Ramp Church Manchester or would like to partner with us in giving, visit us over on our website ramp.church forward slash mcr or find us on social media. Now let's head straight into this week's message. a lot of our series and recapping what we've been talking about the past few months. So um, we're going to do a little recap. Maybe maybe you've recently joined Ramp Church. I just felt to kind of go over some of where the Lord has us right now. And I don't know about you, but I really value just the big picture clarity of kind of where we're all aimed at. And if you are a part of Ramp Church or maybe you're visiting and you're looking for a church, I feel it's so important that we know um, the big foundations and the direction we're headed so we can just be unified. And we can walk in greater peace, right? We can know our place. We can know our assignment. We can prioritize our lives accordingly. So I'm going to recap. So we've been, um, we've been in this, this series on the great, a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission. Okay, now I know that sounds very preachery, but I actually I love that theme because... Well, first of all, God is great, so everything about his commandment, his commission is just so mind-blowing, and how does the human language even encapsulate that? But you just sometimes are like, that's so great. And we have this great commandment from God where Jesus actually just simplifies everything about our behavior, our motivation, our lifestyle. He knows how we need that simplicity, right? We can overcomplicate things and then we start excusing our way out of things and we lose the plot line. And Jesus brings just this bottom line, here are the goalposts for your life as my followers as those who've been transformed by my spirit, reborn into the kingdom of God, born of the spirit. And he gives us this big picture commandment that we guide our lives with. And it takes, before I go and recap the commandment, it takes commitment to Jesus, right? So we emphasize the very beginning of this, the importance of us being intentional about having commitment in our life. In a culture where commitment is not valued, we are part of a kingdom where commitment is highly valued. And our entrance into this kingdom is actually based on God's commitment, his covenant with us. So commitment is huge in the kingdom of God. So when believers are on planet earth, they're actually giving people a taste of God's kingdom By giving them a taste of commitment. It's a glimpse into a higher realm. So commitment, Jesus says in Matthew 24, when he's describing the end of the age, in Matthew 24, 12. I didn't give all these verses. I wasn't sure which one I'm going to use, but you can just jot this down. Matthew 24, 12. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. So there's this this 
endurance, right? This longevity in our walk with God. And I love that. I love imagining myself when I'm 90 years old or 80 years old, just being more devoted, more pure in heart, more fully given to God. So the trajectory of our life through every season, through every trial, is we're on this trajectory of increased commitment, increased singleness of heart, singleness of action to loving the Lord. And I love it even the way um, Solomon puts it, King Solomon puts it in Ecclesiastes. Finishing is better than starting. So as believers, we're called to this commitment, okay? And commitment to what? Well, commitment to God's commands, to doing God's will, God's way. We're entering into this new kingdom realm. We've been reborn, this new life. The way Peter puts it is we've been given this new life. God delivered us from the empty life our ancestors passed down to us. And now we have like this fullness of life, what Jesus says, this eternal life. And it's in seed form now, and we're going to get the full harvest of it at his second coming. We're going to step into the full manifestation, but we have this down payment, this taste of glory, this kingdom within us where we are seeing God's goodness and glory in new, in new dimensions and displaying that to the world around us. So the commandment Jesus gives, you can find this in Matthew 22, 34 through 40. You can find this in Luke 10, 25. I'm just going to recap it for time's sake. But basically, Jesus is saying to this man who asked him, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, or no, he says, he's asked, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and equal to it, love your neighbor as yourself. So we talked about the importance, right, of this vertical love for God, this devotion that's not just a part of our life, but it literally consumes everything about our life. It's every facet of our life is now baptized and immersed in this loving God back, experiencing his love and releasing that love that we've tasted and experienced to our neighbor, to the people that we come in contact with. We're doing what Jesus says with this commandment. We're loving as he has loved us. We are getting a revelation of the love of God. And that revelation is the motivation and the fuel and the image that we're copying. And that's how we love others. It's a different type of love. It's not the worldly type of love, right, that says you love me the way I love you. And how you treat me impacts the way you get love from me. It's not that performance-based. It's not what Jesus says is the eye for the eye, the tooth for a tooth. It's not based on the person. The love is based on the way God loves us. So it's very otherworldly. It's a love. We're loving our neighbor as he has loved us, not how the neighbor loves us. We're loving as he has loved us. And this is how our whole life is centered around this. Everything flows from this. And then he gives us this, this commission. Jesus is about to go and ascend to the Father. And he's entrusting this mission to his disciples. The Holy Spirit in them. Empowering them to fulfill his purpose. To continue the ministry that he has started. And in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. 
he gives what we call the Great Commission. And this is kind of the mission that every church, every local church ministry is like rallied and unified around this mission that Jesus entrusted to us. And every church has kind of a different expression, a different flavor, but it's still, it's like, it's kind of like ice cream. It's like you can have an ice cream shop with 50 different flavors of ice cream, but it's all ice cream. And the church is like different flavors of this commission. Different expressions of this purpose for our existence, our assignment here on earth. And here it is. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And when I preached on this a while ago, I was, I was summarizing these, these two words in that passage is presence and purpose. The purpose of our existence is to multiply and make disciples. To bring people into the kingdom of God. To know Christ, to make him known. But the presence of God is the promise in that commission. I am with you always. Even to the end of the age. So we never have to fulfill his purpose without his presence. They're both there. So we've got this great commission... And this is why we are here on earth as believers. This is why when you get saved, you don't just automatically get raptured up to heaven. I mean, don't we all kind of wish that would happen? (laughs) No, but we come to Christ and we're given this purpose. And now our life has a sense of hope because there's meaning to our existence. And the meaning to our existence is not just temporary, it's eternal. Now we are caught up in this eternal storyline. And we get to be a part of that. And there's lots of warfare around that purpose, right? There's lots of warfare in our place of assignment, in our place of of doing what God's called us to do. But we have the promise that he's with us. And we have the promise that he has been given authority and we are sent. So every one of you, no matter what season of life you're in, just let that sink in, like the now season of your life, with the responsibilities and the schedule and the demands and the people, the purpose of your life right now is to make Christ known. To give people a taste. To multiply the people who are in the Father's house. This is so simple, right? And yet, I don't know about you, but it's so easy to overthink, to excuse, to justify. To think, well, a certain season means there's some sort of exemption pass to me having anything to do with that. But there's such peace when we can just like really clarify, again, what's the goalpost? As a newlywed, as somebody who's single, as somebody who's married, as somebody who's 12 years old, as somebody who's 80 years old, to simplify that bottom line, you growing in this passion, this devotion, this desire. For Jesus and the people he died to redeem.
So this commitment to his commandment. You know, I, I love reading about the life of Paul because when Paul's writing about his life to people like Timothy or Titus or the churches that he's discipling, he's quite clear. He says things like, Timothy, you've seen my life. You know what I'm about. Do what I've been doing and you'll have peace. And the confidence of that. I feel convicted by that, right? I'm like, if somebody looks at my life, do they know what I'm about? And if they mimic my life, will they have peace in the ways of God? So your life, right, is sending out these messages through the choices that you make. Very practical. Isn't it just wild how such epic things, the eternal destination of souls and the glory of God among the nations, gets seen through ordinary choices of how I spend my money, where I put my time, what I do, what I don't do. In this temporary realm. Such glory, just funnily, it is like what Paul says, right? This glory in these fragile clay pots. This power. So there's these messages that our life is sending and from my life, I want there to be this clarity of what matters most, of what is truly worth treasuring. That when people, and my heart desire for you, Ramp Church, is that people can look at your life and the choices you make and the conversations that you get caught up in. And the things that overflow from your heart during lunch break and all these things. That they get some sort of taste that Jesus is alive and that he is worth it. He is worth something from my life. Like here and now. Not just in the other side of eternity. But here and now there's a way to live for the glory of God. So then we, we, we went then to Acts. And we said, well, let's look through the book of Acts. And the people who heard this commandment and were there, some of them there right before Jesus ascended, some of them in Acts, you know, who were founders of the early church, they saw him ascend into the sky. They heard him speak these words. And then they were there when the Holy Spirit filled them with power. So, like, what did that look like? How did that work out in their lives, these huge things of loving God with all their heart, loving their neighbor, making disciples? And we broke it down into kind of six different lines, so to speak, six different summaries of what we, themes that we see in the book of Acts. And first we talked about how they waited on God through prayer and fasting. And we emphasized the importance of being a people who host the presence of God. Have you ever been in a conversation where, this is Joe and I, every conversation pretty much, where we both have so much to say that it's just like constantly, you can hardly get a word in? Just so talkative, so opinionated, just so much passion. It's like, he's like buttoning in, he's like, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I'm going to interrupt. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I'm going to interrupt. And then talking, 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 talking. <laughs> and this is why it's so important to host God's presence, to wait on him. Because we need to give him space to speak. 
We need to give him room in the conversation. And I don't know, I mean, you know me, it's like I can, I can pray, I can intercede, I can tell God what things, you know, what's happening down here on earth, what you believe for. And that's, that's quite easy. But to shut up and listen to what God wants to say, that's really where things change, right? That's where the improvement comes. And to be a people who wait on God in prayer and fasting means that we can be silent and we can give space in the conversation. For there to be this genuine back and forth, this beautiful communion. So we wait on God through prayer and fasting. And then Joe talked about they cultivated favor with the city around them. How they are this subculture, but that subculture is actually impacting people's lives around them. And things are getting stirred up to even where people are getting angry and people are saying you troublers that you've been troubling the whole world. And things are beginning to shift on huge, even regional areas are beginning to be transformed by the message that they are bringing. And this is even beautifully seen with the life of Daniel, right? The life of Joseph, who are serving in these these pagan kind of empires and Babylon and serving Pharaoh. But you see the blessing of God on their life begins to bring salvation to the broader nation around them. So we're called not just to endure this city. We are called to serve this city. To infiltrate this city with good deeds. So people can have taste of God. And then we talked about how uh, our friend Chrissy, who's been a missionary in the Philippines, she, she shared about the summary of Acts and how they served the needy with time and money. And she reminded us how everybody has time. And how this is one of the most precious things that we give as humans is the gift of our time. Serving those who can't repay us. Giving of our money to the needs of others and how, how important that is so that people can literally not just hear Jesus, but live long enough to hear Jesus. And how our resources help make that possible on the earth. And we talked then about pioneering new churches. And, jo- and that was when we introduced some of the new leadership structure that we have. And we talked about starting the Oxford Road loca- location. And we talked about multiplying And so the the church in Acts, right, they're not just staying the same stagnant. They're really stretching themselves. They're multiplying and they're bringing in new leaders and they're starting new, new communities. And it's spreading this move of the Holy Spirit. And last week, James talked about they unified themselves in gatherings and small groups. He talked about the importance of us genuinely being connected to the body of Christ. Not just saying like, oh, I'm a part of Ramp Church, but like other people knowing you're a part of Ramp Church. (laughs) Other people knowing that you are part of the community and the importance of those horizontal connections. And today I want to talk about how they loved each other through hospitality and generosity. And hopefully I will have some time to share just personal stories of how in the mission that God's called my family and the ramp in the States, how deeply impacted we have been personally by hospitality and the generosity of brothers and sisters in Christ. So I want to hopefully get to that. But first, let's go to Acts 2, 42 through 47. In fact, 
I think I'm just going to reference these and um, highlight, and then I want to go to Luke, to another passage, perhaps, if I can find that. So let's start. Um, so in Acts 2, and then in, again in Acts 4, they're summarizing. The author Luke is saying, you know, they devoted themselves to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper. They met together in one place. They shared everything they had. In Acts 4, he again says, they met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity. They gave their money to the apostles. There were no needs among them. Just this radical, this radical move of the Holy Spirit that's resulting in hospitality and generosity. And if I could summarize hospitality and generosity in one word in this particular context, it would be sharing. <laughs> sharing. Not just giving money, but literally as Paul says, okay, let me, I'm kind of bouncing all over the place, but in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul's talking about the ministry of generosity, the ministry of giving. And he says that they did even more than what we had hoped for. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to do. So you can think of generosity and hospitality. You can narrow it down and think, okay, you know, you can listen to what I'm saying and be like, well, gosh, I haven't had anybody over to eat. You know, man, I should have done that last night. Or you could think of it as specific acts of giving money. Or you can see kind of the underline. It's you sharing your whole life. You've given your life to God, and then you're giving your life to people. It's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, where he says that he has opened wide his life to the Corinthians. Which is phenomenal. I know I read this passage a lot to you because I nearly read it a lot to myself as well. And I'm so challenged by it because it's just like I feel the tension don't you feel the tension? You get in community, okay? You get slightly annoyed at somebody or offended or hurt or you misunderstand. And then what's your tendency? You turn your back and you go the other way. <laughs> and you're like, I'm not doing that. I've heard, I've heard. You say, oh, I put my hand in that fire and got burned. I'm not putting my hand in that fire again. Right? And there's this mode where we, we, we retreat too often if there's any added stress to our life. Which when you walk in community, you do add stress to your life. You're sharing in the burdens. You're also sharing in the blessing, though. And you, you want to retreat to self-protect. So you go from God's will of this interdependence, this connectedness to others, this sharing of everything that I have because it's not my own. And we retreat to this place of, I will decide what comes in and what comes out. And I will be in control of who knows what and who does what. And because that hurt, that must mean that I need to be in charge of my life. Not knowing that when we're in charge, we end up hurting ourselves far longer, far worse. Because when we're in the will of God connected to others, right? We talked about this in Lamentations and even what Job says. Though he slay me, yet will I rise and drive and he will heal us if he wounds us. It's what Joe's talked about. If your finger gets injured, you don't just cut it off to heal. You stay connected to heal. So there is this tension between our old man and our new man. Our new man wants to just fully love people. And our old man is terrified at the thought of exposing ourselves 
and letting ourselves be seen and letting ourselves be vulnerable and letting somebody in our home. Like even think about just hospitality practically. Okay, in light, let's, let's use this one area of hospitality, inviting people into your home. There's like a level of vulnerability to that, right? You see the way I live. You see my kids talking to me, me talking to my kids. It feels very, you know, it feels a little bit like if you think about it, it seems like that's a little risky. There are some things that I'm clearly not in control of that you will see. But how freeing, right? To live such honest lives where we're sharing in the burden and the blessing. And here's the thing about generosity and hospitality. The blessing outweighs the burden. This was something that Pastor Karen told me when I was, when I was young. Joe and I were newly married, and I felt like the Lord was asking us to kind of invite the students to come and move into our house in Hamilton, and was weighing that, and I was thinking about, you know, all the things that we think about when we're counting the cost. It's like, oh, I like to be alone in my house. I like to be in charge in my kitchen. You know, I like to all these things, right? These things. And I've, I'm like weighing this with like inviting somebody to come live with me. And I'm thinking about the pros and cons. I'm talking with Pastor Karen and she says, Stacy, I just sense the blessing will outweigh the burden. And that is so true, isn't it? Think about even hospitality that you've hosted people that you've made space for to serve. There is a burden. That's why, that's why we're admonished in the New Testament to show hospitality without grumbling. Because there is an element of you're going to serve, and that requires work, but the blessing outweighs the burden. And my life has been so impacted and blessed by the people who have come in that I've been able to serve, to learn from, that they've served in, re- in exchange. The sharing that's gone back and forth has enriched me, but not just enriched me. It's literally made it possible for me to be here. So I want to go, for time's sake, let's just go to, uh, let's see, let's go to 2 Corinthians 6. This is the passage that I was talking about. So the the passage in Acts is, you know, them saying how they shared their meals together. They were together. They gave everything that, you know, people sold property. So there's this huge, like, integration, right? There is this togetherness, okay? This togetherness, this very corporate thing that's happening. And individuals are getting swept up into this corporate move of God. And Paul, so then I kind of was expressing, well, some of our reluctance, right? Even some of, the, some of you who are hearing about communities, it's really hard for you. And even this morning in prayer, I sensed for you, for you to be a part of a church, for you to be a part of a community, is you're kind of like Peter. You've been working hard fishing all night, and you caught nothing. And Jesus shows up, and he says, cast your net, go a bit deeper, and cast your net on the other side. And Peter says, been there, done that, caught nothing. And when you hear us talk about communities and you hear us talk about commitment to a church, you're like, been there, done that, caught nothing. And I feel the Lord saying to you, here's an opportunity to respond like Peter, right? Lord, we've worked hard. We caught nothing. But nevertheless, at your word, we'll do it. 
And at the word of the Lord, he cast his net. And what happens? It's so much he has to call the other partners to come and help bring in the catch of fish. And some of you have been in church your whole life. And why is it that we don't just like snap into community and fix ourselves there for the rest of our lives and it's smooth sailing? It's because we're all being transformed. We're all being changed. You're not the same person, hopefully, you were five years ago. I'm not the same person I was, hopefully, two months ago. We're all changing and growing together. So it takes this consistent, yes, this consistent, intentional, yes, to God and to his people. And there's such grace, right? And at the end of our lives, so Paul in 2 Corinthians 6, he's talking about his hardships. He's defending his ministry. He's saying how he's been beaten, he's been put in prison, he's worked to exhaustion, he's gone without food, sleepless nights, he's been attacked, he's been despised, he's been slandered. He's also been praised. He's also been honored. He's been honest. He's been called an imposter. He's been ignored, even though he's well known. And then he sums all that up. Now, all of that's a result, right, to the assignment that God has given him to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. All of that suffering is not because Paul's out of the will of God. All of that is because he's doing the will of God. Okay? And so then in verse 11, after all of that, like if I was writing this, I was writing, we live in such a way, you know, we patiently endure troubles and hardships. We've been beaten, put in prison, faced angry moms, worked to exhaustion. We've been slandered, our hearts ache. We own nothing, yet we have everything. I think my, I hope it wouldn't be this way, but sometimes I wonder, would my next verse be, and so that's it, folks. <laughs> E for effort, I tried, and I'll see you on the other side. But no, listen to what he says. After all that pain inflicted by people in his place of assignment, doing what God asked him to do, he says, oh, dear Corinthian friends. Friends. We have spoken honestly, honestly with you, and our hearts are open to you. This is a move of God. To end the place of assignment is also the place of suffering, is also the place of supernatural love. Where your heart is wide open. Where the walls of self-protection are not allowed to come up. He says, our hearts are open to you. There is no lack of love on our part. But you have withheld your love from us. How countercultural is that? Because, I don't know, I mean, think about, think about the way that us in our old nature and our, our natural man, if there's a lack of love on your part, I'm withdrawing my love. Is that not how we operate here as humans? Right? You withdraw your love, I withdraw my love, and we call it quits. That's the culture that we live in. That's the worldly system. But here he's saying, there's no lack of love on our part, but you've withheld your love from us. So what if as a community, what if a community of people, we've been so transformed, we're so walking in the spirit, that our lives are so integrated in this sharing, in this meeting needs of people, 
that even when we're wounded, we can still, by the grace of God and the help of Holy Spirit, say our hearts are still wide open. And there's no lack of love on our part. So now I'm going to kind of change directions and go to Mark 11. And we're talking, so let's go back again to the big mission of God, okay? And we just read Paul's mission and assignment and the joy and the suffering and the glory that came all together in that. And now I'm thinking about this commission to go and make disciples, and I'm thinking about my own journey in following God, the ramp's call to Manchester, you know, starting when I was eight years old and I heard the Lord speak to me for the first time, calling me to missions and cross-cultural mission fields and just, I'm amazed at how. I, it's like you take generosity and hospitality out of my life and there would be no way I could fulfill the mission of God. If other people didn't share their time, their resources, like I wouldn't be in this room. I wouldn't. So God has given us this way of doing things. And that way is so interdependent upon the other parts of the body. I know it's, I know words. I feel like I'm just like a broken tape. It's just like, because we so think when we get a word, we immediately kind of sometimes, or at least myself, you just start seeing yourself in that word. And you don't see the picture of all the people who are assigned to help on that journey you fulfill God's word. So Peter is saying, this is in the middle of a conversation, Mark 10, verse 28. Mark 10, 28, Peter speaks up. We've given up everything to follow you. Yes, Jesus replied. So he's affirming that's the correct course of action. Yes, Jesus replied. And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return, now in return, a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property, along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. So this promise, right, of those who follow Jesus and and take on these commandments and this commission, it costs so much. And Jesus is affirming that. And then he's giving them this promise, in this life and in the life to come, you will receive. So, I mean, I feel like I, I, maybe, maybe one day I will. I don't know. Somebody will write a book about how incredibly generous God is in fulfilling his word. But little tiny things, when you step out in the will of God. So we, first of all, we sell our house in Hamilton, Alabama. And it was a miracle. The real estate market was just like terrible. Like it was taking years for houses to sell. And so we were literally three days out from flying, um, flying to go to Scotland. We didn't have a solution fully lined up yet. We were thinking, well, somebody's gonna have to rent it. And um, this man knocks on our door, okay, three days before we're leaving. And he says, is your house still for sale? And we say, yes. And he, he puts the day before we fly out, gives us a check for the asking price, and we sell on our house the day before we fly out. 
And I'm telling you, if you knew the, the real estate market in Hamilton, Alabama, that was a miracle. A miracle, okay? I knew people in that time who had their house for sale for five years. It was like, whoa, it's intense, okay? So that was a miracle. So then we fly to Scotland, and we're there, and we're, in, um, we, you know, we're setting up our new home. We're trying to understand the, 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 um, the accents, right? We're getting about 50% of what everybody says to us, and the wind's nearly blowing me and the girls away, and we're trying to survive. And we go to this service where Pastor Andy Elms was ministering to a church nearby, and I remember just sitting there, and the kids were sleeping on the front row. I mean, Chloe was three, Olivia was five, Claire was seven, and we're like just in shock, right? And then we find out right, well, actually right then before uh, we went to that service, we had just recently found out that all of our plans had basically gone through the shredder for everything we were supposed to do in Scotland for situations outside of our control. And we were a bit devastated. We were like, what are we going to do? You know, we're supposed to build this Bible school and this person's resigned and they're no longer able to run the ministry. It was terrible news in the natural and in that church service, this sweet lady, her name is Naomi. I could cry just thinking about her. So she comes up to me and she just, she just simply welcomes me. And she asks about my life. She invites me to come to her Bible study on Friday mornings. And I didn't know anybody. If you've ever been new in a place, which I'm sure everybody's been new, there's this feeling of being invisible. You leave this place where you're like Hamilton. You like walk anywhere and you know somebody. And you come to this new place and you're like... Like, do I exist here? Does anybody know me? And she saw me and she invited me to come in. And then she invited me for coffee. I remember I sat down and there was just such, a, she's just a very, she's just a normal believer, right? She's a normal believer, a spirit-filled believer. She invites me to coffee. There's such a sweet anointing on her life. I just start crying. I don't even know her, okay? It doesn't take much for me to cry, but anyway, I still, I didn't want to cry in front of her. I didn't know her. <laughs> And I'm crying and I'm telling her, you know, all our plans have just gone to nothing. And I've been trying to fast, but I keep eating and it's not working. And, and I'm tired because I thought all the fasting was going to be before we got here. And now it's like all hell's breaking loose. And she just listened and she comforted me and she just continued to invite me in. And then she texted me. It was the next day or something. And she says, I'm fasting for you. You don't have to fast. And I hardly knew her. And this is just such a beautiful example of the family of God, of brothers and sisters that enable the mission of God to continue. And I think about Naomi and her family. And if they weren't, they were so welcoming. They were just so comforting. We were just friends, right? It was just this AOG church that we were going to. You know, we didn't have any leadership roles. We were just like existing, right? And I mean, we were, we were happy to be there and they were so hospitable. And I think if you take them out of that picture... I don't know how we would have done it. And she keeps in touch and she would just remind me. She would just, whenever I would see her, she would remind me, what you're doing is hard and I'm inspired by what you're doing. And I would think, oh yeah, this is hard. Okay, it's not just me. <laughs> and then when we moved to Manchester, I mean, hospitality comes in all sorts of ways. The family of God comes. But, but, but how God fulfilled his promise to give my children friends to play with I remember, I mean, I remember the, the, the week we moved to Manchester, Joe goes to Moldova. And I've told you about that. I'm still getting healing from that, right? <laughs> I know it keeps coming up. I'll deal with it. So it'll be done deal soon, hopefully, in Jesus' name. 
So Joe leaves to go to Moldova. We literally have like a table, not even chairs in our house. And my neighbor in, in um, the first rental house that we lived in in Charlton, you know, she, she was just kind of like, have you seen Paddington? She's like the mom on Paddington. She's like so friendly and she invites me over and she invites the kids over. She's not a believer, like at all. I was touched by her hospitality. I was touched by her kindness, her warm welcome. And then when I think of our other house move, you know, we're moving to, um, now, now we rent a house in, in Old Trafford. And honestly, the generosity of our landlord, like if you're a landlord, there's ways to show kingdom hospitality. You see, he's not, I don't think he's a believer. He's not raised our rent once. We have ridiculously low rent. I mean, it is God working through him. Every time something breaks, he's on it. It's like, can I live here forever? I never want to have to do home maintenance. And he's so, the way he shows hospitality in welcoming us and in caring for us. These simple ways that are these revelations, right? They're revelations, they're taste. Just as God has welcomed us and he celebrates us and he doesn't tolerate us. He rejoices in us. This is the ministry of our generosity, of our hospitality to others. I mean, there have been seasons, just in closing, where the Lord has asked Joe and I to do such, for us, very stretching financial things. And some of you have heard some of those stories about different, you know, we, we, moved, we moved house. We felt, okay, this is great. We're going to have some margin and we're going to save for maybe like, you know, just have a bit of savings for a house maybe to purchase one day. And as soon as we move in that house, the God, God gives me this dream and he says, give me all your extra and everything and more. Just this stretching. And it was so hard. I don't say that to toot my own horn, but I, I, because if I can do it, hey, don't be, don't underestimate yourself, okay? Don't under, we're all in this together, and there's this, this battle between flesh and spirit, and it's like, oh, yes, oh, oh, God, I want to obey, make me willing. So wrestled with that word, prayed about it, was like, well, surely, like, that had to be maybe hormonal or pizza or something, because it just doesn't make sense how that's possible. And in the dream, he gave me a specific amount, and it was the voice of God in the dream. And somehow I woke up, and I'm still like, I don't know. <laughs> God confirms it, and we start doing this thing in the season where we were stretched, all our extra, and in that season, I cannot tell you how amazing God was. I, it was absolutely beautiful to see the care of God. Even the postcode, we've told you the story about the postcode to the house we lived in at that time. Okay, so we moved into this house because we're like, we're about to save up. Okay, and then I have the dream, give it to me. And then the wrestling, the postcode and the word that God gave Joe in that postcode was Matthew 16, 9, where Jesus says, don't you remember the basketfuls of leftovers, the 12 basketfuls of leftovers for the disciples who fed the multitude? It was just this, I mean, incredible thing. Like things like I would think, oh, my kettle's broken. And the next day someone would buy me a kettle. Say, I just felt to give this to you. Wasn't able to buy clothes. Sanja shows up to my door one Christmas. I have never in my life received so many clothes. I mean, she, it, it makes sense when you, if you knew the backstory to see the generosity of God. And an angel didn't do that. Humans did that. Gabriel, as much as I would have loved that, 
It wasn't him. I love seeing Sanja there. And then seriously, when she was telling me the story of this, I think I have never received this many clothes before. And she was saying, well, I just got in that store. She said, I was grabbing stuff and throwing it. She said, I don't even know what that is. That just got in the bag. <laughs> Generosity flows through humans. Throws, flows through you. Then we start getting this word about the Lord wanting us to buy a house. Through dreams, through prophetic words. Somebody then were like, well, we don't have that money to do that. Somebody calls us one day and says, I want to give you, you know, this amount of money. Another person says, I want to give you this amount of money. And I'm telling you, miraculously, the Lord provided and is providing. There's no way if we would have saved all that money from that rental house, we still wouldn't have gotten what God has given through the generosity of other people to make that possible. It's mind-blowing. But it takes such faith. Faith the size of a mustard seed. But still this faith, and this is what's incredible about the body of Christ, about my life. It's those miracles can flow through ordinary people like me and you. Ordinary things, you and me, we can work wonders. Through our sharing, through our openness. Through, and you know, sometimes, this is, I remember one time. I remember one time the Lord told me something. We had a joint baby, um, baby shower in the States. Okay, I'm closing with this. And in the States, we do this thing for these baby showers where we do these money trees. Have you ever seen that? Some of y'all just need to go to the States for a baby shower. Get, get pregnant, have a baby, go have your baby shower in the States, okay? <laughs> and they do these money trees, and they're so beautiful, and people just pay, you know, they just pin money on there. And um, yes, 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 right? And you're like... <laughs> so the Lord, so it's me and my, one of my best friends... Jessica and her um, her husband had just lost a job and you know Joe and I Joe was just pastoring I was you know staying at home with the kids and they get they divide the money up and it's you know maybe a couple hundred pounds I mean a couple hundred dollars a hundred dollars or something and I'm like oh this is so helpful thank you Lord and I just heard the Holy Spirit say she needs it and I said well I need it <laughs> and he said but she needs it more than you and some of it, some of that, isn't that the bottom line? Like it's not, generosity is not that you don't need it. Generosity is somebody else needs it more than you. Sharing, right? It's not that you don't need it. Share your bread with the hunger. You need bread, but share your bread because other people need bread. And this is what makes this a miracle to me. This is not separated from the move of the Holy Spirit. This is a marker of the move of God. They didn't get there for 10 days of prayer and they're like, all right, how can we inspire ourselves to get you know, all this money into the hands of the needy? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they lived these lives of keeping each other accountable. And there was some fierce accountability, right? Ananias and Sapphira, I mean, they saw glory and there was a high level of accountability. But living in community, what if we lived differently so other people could live? What if in this city we opened our hearts and broke down the walls of self-preservation to celebrate the people that God has in this city? Let's stand to our feet. I remember one... One year I went back recently to Winter Ramp and I had an encounter with God that was really, it was really, um, I don't know how to describe it really. I just was, 
like I encountered the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon me and I was just like, it's like my body started shaking. I, it's like I had no control over my body. I was shaking so much. It was when I was preaching, I was in front of these, you know, thousands of people and I felt my flesh man was like, what is happening right now? But my spirit was just overwhelmed with the presence of God. And one thing the Lord said to me so loud and clear was said, Stacy, you cannot have control and revival too. And sometimes, right, we want to control. When you say hospitality, that touches on the me time. When you say generosity, that, that touches on the me funds. And if we want to see a move of God, there has to be this wholehearted surrender, this working out. It's not a one-time occurrence. It's not like after that encounter, I didn't have any struggles with letting go of control. It's this, this revelation, right? This revelation come that God is powerful and God needs to be in control of my finances, my time, my relationship. And if I want the move of the Holy Spirit, I have to be fully surrendered to Him calling the shots. And it's this community of believers who we are encouraging other in that. We're not just encouraging each other with, you know, there's going to be a breakthrough and I'm believing with you for that miracle. We are encouraging each other to live the way that the Holy Spirit wants to live through us. And, you know, I feel so touched by seeing the Lord's promise it's just incredible to say I have need of nothing that we're fully funded in Christ and that it doesn't take it doesn't always take angels it just takes these willing vessels and I look around this room and I see missionaries here from the states who have been funded, fully funded to be here for a year, two years, three years by the generosity of others. And I look at you who've given so that we can be here this morning and, and so that it's all of this, the, the co-laboring of God. And I, I look at the people who've invited us into their homes and who've watched my kids since my parents are, you know, 4,000 miles away and, and they've taken that on. They've, they've opened their lives to my family in a way that's supernatural. And I'm so grateful, and I want every single one of you to experience the blessing that outweighs the burden, the call of God on your life. The blessing that outweighs the burden, the reward that surpasses the cost, the glory that far outweighs the suffering. When you say yes to the assignment of God, to the stretching, to the relinquishing of control, Let's just close in prayer. I want our prayer teams to come up.